The Mind Sponsor for today is upcoming podcast series, Personality Sleuths. Personality Sleuths will be co-hosted by Dr. J. Galen Buckwalter, whose career includes being the founding chief science officer of eHarmony and me, leveraging my experience as a venture capitalist and entrepreneur. We will analyze personality using a speech-based proprietary AI algorithm, along with the clues evident in social media and the popular press. Each episode will dissect the life of someone famous who gained the trust of many before becoming notorious for duping people, committing a crime, or losing exorbitant amounts of money, all while the clues were there all along and how they spoke. Tune in soon. Our heart sponsor for today is Decoding Success. Decoding Success enables you to get a feel for the personality of the people with whom you are interacting passively, without alerting the party that you are doing it, such as would happen typically when a questionnaire is used, the only other means to capture the analyzable data. Using text from emails, messages, or a Twitter account, Decoding Success can optimize your chances for a successful encounter by prepping you ahead of time. Want to know about that entrepreneur in whose company you are contemplating an investment prior to the pitch meeting? Want to screen which candidates will be best suited to join your team before you even meet them? Visit D-E-C-O-D-I-N-G-S-U-C-C-E-S-S.com. On this episode, we have Ricardo Masal. Ricardo was born and raised in Mexico City, the descendant of Sephardic Jews of Greek and Turkish origin. Ricardo did not attend art school. Rather, he studied industrial design and became one of its leading proponents with a practice in Mexico City. In the 80s, after an economic downturn in Mexico, Ricardo migrated to Barcelona to explore the practice of art. Ricardo has developed a practice of starting with photography as a basis for his paintings. The significance of location and its intersection with spirituality are key components of his work. Ricardo draws a lot of inspiration from music in his painting technique, describing himself as a composer while he creates on a canvas. Migrating to New York in the early 90s, he now splits his time between the city and Santa Fe, New Mexico. Ricardo, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you. Thank you. No, this is a, a, a great pleasure. Um, we were introduced by uh, Sundaram Tagore, um, who has also been on the show and uh, has become a, a dear friend. And uh, I know you've worked with him for a long time. And so I, I'm very grateful to him for introducing us because uh, your work is, is really extraordinary. And um, I, uh, as I've been thinking about your work and, and meditating on it, uh, as I've uh, ensconced myself in it over the last several days, uh, what comes to mind is your, your fellow countryman, uh, Octavio Paz, and um, just a, a brilliant writer. Uh, I've, I've been a fan for him for a long t- of him for a long time. Of course, a Nobel Prize winner in literature in 1990. Um, he had the most uh, amazing description of, of, of poetry um, that I've ever seen. And uh, of course, it's idea palpable, palabra impalpable, poesia. And as I was experiencing your work, I felt like that could be modified to say, idea palpable, imagen mejor, pintura. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I, I feel like that's um, 
all of your work starts with this idea that you are moved by and uh there is of course a strong spiritual element to it and um uh, the focus on um, transition in life life to death and we'll talk about more about this uh, going forward but that left a, a deep impression on me and, and this is um how i've kind of framed it in my mind um but before we get into those more cerebral and serious topics something that's a bit lighter um i imagine you are a soccer fan i i'm a soccer fan every four years <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah well this fits perfectly because uh i, I was born in germany and so they they are my team and uh i'll never forget uh the, the very first match of the most recent world cup we had mm -hmm. where uh mexico mexico in played alemania played germany and uh they won deservedly with mm -hmm. a uh, beautiful lozano goal and um well, i, I remember you were well, in, when was it? 1960 something. Well, oh, well, that's a 68. Mexico hosted the World Cup. Yes. Um, but I was talking about uh, 2018, uh, 50 years ah, later. The, <laughs> the very last one where uh, Mexico beat Germany and we were the reigning <laughs> champions, we were the holders. And um, there were immediately press releases and reports about uh, how the uh, jubilation in uh, Zocalo had created an earthquake that had registered on the scales. Of course, afterwards, we learned that there, were, there was actual seismic activity that caused that. But it, it's a lot of fun to think that <laughs> the celebration of a nation um, would, would create something that would uh, register on the Richter scale. Um, yeah, so, uh, so you were, uh, you attended some World Cup matches in 68? Yes, uh, a long time ago in Estadio Azteca in Mexico. Of course, that's the uh, most venerated stadium uh, yeah. in Mexico. Yeah, fantastic, great. Yeah. Well, uh, Ricardo, I, I, I always like to start with uh, the very beginnings of uh, my guests. And so your story begins in La Ciudad de, de Mexico, Distrito Federal. Uh, tell us about that, um, being born there. Uh, how, what, what was it like growing up? Um, I see I was born in Mexico City uh, from a Jewish family. Uh, nice. My grandparents immigrated from Greece and Turkey, so they're um, Sephardic Jews. Right. I went to Mexico uh, very early in the uh, teens, 1916-something. Wow. Um, one side was Turkish, one side was Greek. Okay. Obviously from the Ottoman Empire. Um, right. They, they migrated, they were young. So I'm second generation in right. in Mexico, uh, and I lived there until uh, I left when I was 36 years old. Wow, amazing! Um, I did not study arts. Okay. Uh, I studied industrial design. Wow, brilliant! Okay. And I have a master's degree in industrial design. 
which I did in the US. Then I practiced as a designer in Mexico City. And I was one of the pioneers of design. And really, it, this was in the early 70s. Amazing. Uh, so I had one of the first practices of uh, as a designer in Mexico. And I was pretty successful, I would say, business-wise. Business -wise. Um, sure. Uh, you know, at the end, I was not designing much because I, I was more in the administrative side of the, of the practice. Correct. Until the early uh, 80s. Um, so it was about 10, 12 years that I practiced design. Okay. At, at that point, I seen there was a major economic crack in Mexico uh, under Presidente Lopez Portillo. And all my practice that I was very proud of, uh, everything, everything just collapsed. Hmm. Um, so that together with some personal um, things going on, my mother passed away. Uh, okay. That combined threw me into a existential crisis and, and a search for a big change. Wow. In life, in work, and everything. And uh, all I can say is I'd never painted before. Wow. I was uh, 34 years old, something like that. But I always loved art. And I yeah. always went to museums anywhere I traveled. And, um, and I said to myself, I deserve to have a, a little break, a one or two year sabbatical. I sold everything I had wow. and decided to go to Barcelona. Amazing. Yeah. Thanks to a friend that talked to me about Barcelona being the capital of, uh, cultural capital of uh, Spain and one of the yeah. important cultural capitals of, of the world. By this well, time, certainly with, with Gaudi as inspiration, of course, uh, yeah. it's understandable. <laughs> Gaudi, uh, Tapies, uh, yeah, you know Picasso, Miro, etc., etc. Yeah, and this was some very exciting years because it was right after, you know, about ten years after Franco died. Right, maybe a little bit less, but um, it was fantastic, and mm. and I decided to go to Barcelona, and uh, I said, well. I'm sure I'm going to go back to designing, but for now, why don't I just, you know, yes, try thought of it thing, a, which is painting. A, a sabbatical, yeah. <laughs> and that's how it started. That's really extraordinary. Um, and uh, sharing that with us is phenomenal because it really pulls some themes together. Um, your passion for art um, throughout your youth and your early professional career. And then uh, a lot of the themes that come to your work um, around um, that, that transition that I spoke of. So uh, your mother passing uh, being a, a, a seminal event in your life that, that led to that. Um, thinking back to your childhood, Ricardo, um, you talked about you know being passionate about art. Uh, can you remember your first uh, experience with art, where you really felt that grip 
Um, honestly, not. I don't, I don't remember uh, particularly one experience that would have uh, been in, in my mind like that. I, I remember um, visiting the museums in Mexico City, the uh, Museum of Modern Art, and seeing uh, the Mexican painter Stamayo, uh, the muralist. Uh, Tamayo particularly had something that, that that I loved, which was his use of color. Mm. And now, you know, many years later, I uh, it's one of the important elements in my work. Very I'm important. I'm not yeah. saying that Tamayo inf influenced me, but it's one of the things that I really loved. Yeah. Um, and one important thing is that when I arrived in in uh, in Barcelona. And I started uh, self-teaching myself, I, you know, uh, autodidacta. Um, mm, right. I had no idea what the contemporary world was. And meaning that I arrived in the 80s and there was a whole movement of European and American uh, art, the, the, the Italian, the German, uh, expressionist, uh, etc. And I was more, or, or my knowledge was more based on the traditional um, modern painters like Picasso and Chagall mm -hmm. and Miró and all Matisse, of them. maybe, yeah. Matisse. And that's where I began because I, I had no, no clue. I never yeah. had those into the into the art world yeah, yeah. like like yeah what's fascinating uh, about your work is that um it really is an embracing of a multimedia format mm -hmm. uh, a lot of your exhibitions have video work as a part of them uh, and also the initial seed um for just about every work uh, except maybe uh violet um has been photography based. So where, when did your passion for photography begin? Um, the first time that, that I uh, used photography was in a series called the uh, Red Queen, uh, La Reina Roja. Uh, okay, right. Um, and that was probably one of the most important uh, breakthroughs in, in my work, the use of photography and how it influenced my paintings. And that was based on a, I was already living in New York and I uh, received the grants from uh, the Mexican government to do a project. And I a friend of mine introduced me to the Red Queen, La Reina Roja. And I went to Palenque to visit the site. At that point, I decided that I, I was not going to start any new projects without um, immersing myself in the place. Mm -hmm. And the archaeologist from that discovered the Red Queen, which was discovered in 19, uh, 
1994, uh, invited me to the ruins at night. Wow, fantastic. And just with the, you know, the stars and the moon, and it, it was just an incredible experience. And that is the first time that I began photographing. Okay. Uh, the story is that the 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 most important um, pyramid in Palenque is right next to the jungle, and he wanted me to uh, walk up the stairs of that pyramid and bring me down inside the pyramid to see the the, um, the tomb of the King Pakal. And I said, no, there's no way I'm going to walk up the stairs. You know, I'm going to fall. And so he said, why don't you go with one of my assistants around uh, and go in a little bit into the um, uh, La Selva, the, the, the jungle. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and I took my camera, and it was a very little camera, um, and I started shooting at night uh, with a flash, and those images started uh, being like the drawings that I I began using for uh, developing my paintings. Amazing! Wow, yeah. fantastic! Um, so I, I was just curious, uh, this had really transpired once after you had moved to, to New York, this breakthrough of location and photography. Um, uh, coming back to Barcelona, um, you were there for about six years or so? That's correct. Yeah. Well, so, and, 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 you know, um, you know, being an autodidact and, and, and learning the um, craft and for uh, fine tuning your craft, um, maybe share if you could a little bit more about uh, that process. Um, you know, you talked about the, the modern painters you were more, you felt more affinity towards, but uh, what was it like in those initial stages? Um, what was your inspiration? How did you feel about your, the, your, the works you were making? Well, the, the beginning was very difficult, and I really thought uh, in the first couple of years that I was a terrible painter and I was <laughs> doing design. And, wow. But I, there was something that I was enjoying about it. Um, the thing is, at first, I just began copying all the painters that I mentioned, like right. Picasso and whatever. Um, and there were two two important things that I had to uh, to reach. One is the technical aspect, and the other is discovering what my voice was, mm. what my work was. Exactly. Yeah. Because at at first I had no idea, and I was doing figurative work, um, and I just constantly questioning why I was painting what I was painting until uh, I began to realize that my, my voice, uh, what I had to say was not so much from my brain. Uh, I was not a good storyteller, but from my gut, from my feeling. 
although I think that a lot of my work is very intellectual, uh, intellectual or conceptual yeah, in, in, in its um, formation. In, in, all, all the work, work that I do is conceived and researched and uh, thought of very profoundly. Mm -hmm. But when I paint, I paint as though I was a musician, I, uh, as though I was a composer. That's brilliant. I love that and, metaphor. And I re realized that um, one one day in Barcelona, I was listening to uh, Beethoven's string quartets, mm. and I just felt like there was, like I dove into a meditation. I was painting, but I was painting as as though I forgot the rest of the world and what was happening. If the Berlin Wall was falling or not, it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic! Oh, the I love that. String quartets. And at one point, I, I realized it, and I said, "What? What is happening? I mean, you know, this is taking me to a to a, a space where, if I close my eyes, I can imagine all kinds of paintings, all kinds of of, yeah. of spaces, um, and." In all my work, if you see the element of light and of movement and of space is always there. Of course. So yeah. there's this spatial. It, I, I draw a contrast. I always draw a contrast with uh, Tapius because he always painted mm. on a wall. Uh, yeah. There's no light, no space. Uh, and I, my, my work, it's, it's as though I need to breathe. Yeah. And I need to breathe oh. inside that space. That and when nice. I discovered that, um, then I dove, uh, I became uh, a student of contemporary music, meaning oh. that I, you know, uh, I started researching. Uh, in that time, you, you would buy CDs, I'd go to New York. <laughs> And I come back with this big stack of, <laughs> of uh, CDs. Of, yeah. um, there was uh, Tower Records, this enormous, enormous, remember? Broad, Broadway in 68th, right by the Lincoln Center, right by Juilliard. Yeah, yeah of course. And, and I used to go there. The, the people that worked there were students, music students, yeah. they're young. And I would say, just tell me who's, you know, contemporary um, composers that you like. And I started discovering people like Arbo Part. Oh, yeah. uh, and uh, many, many others. Of, of course, I went from uh, Beethoven to Bella Bartok. Uh, <laughs> I particularly love the strings because yeah. the strings are the space, right? It's, yeah. Oh, so like well. The percussion yeah. is the percussion is the here and now. The strings. That's right. That is expansive. Absolutely. Uh, maybe uh, Dvorak, his serenade for strings, comes to mind. Yes. Yes. Dvorak, uh, and I. I began studying all of them, uh, one by one, uh, and then I discovered Schoenberg. 
and all the, the contemporaries. And uh, yeah. I'm saying, I'm an abstract painter. What can I do? <laughs> Is it, I, I, there's something I have to express. Um, yeah. like and that is kind of how I began um, finding, it, it took many years, um, I see, it, but this is how I began finding, you know, my, my voice. My yeah, voice. absolutely. Well, what's extraordinary is that you gave it the time and you gave it the space. Mm -hmm. yes. It wasn't rushed. It wasn't, you just allowed it to evolve, which is absolutely phenomenal. Yes. Um, Ricardo, I, I, I really have been wondering, and, and maybe this was the time point when you heard the uh, Beethoven string um, quartet. Um, is that when you abandoned the traditional paintbrush? And your technique became one of using uh, you know, the, the, the... Yes. Okay. Like everything, it's it's uh, a very it's it's a complex because I was feeding <laughs> feeding from many things, right? At right. the same time yes. that I was trying to uh, use music to help me understand uh, what I was going to say, I, I I think I was I should have been a composer. I should have been born a composer. That would have been you, you are a composer. Your harmony is color, mm -hmm. and uh, your notes are the marks you make on a, yes. a linen canvas. <laughs> I agree with you, but also I, I I tried to play the piano when I was very young, and mm -hmm. you know I just don't have the uh, you know the, the talent for that. But but yes, I agree. Uh, I fortunately found a way. Of composing but with another medium Brilliant. but at the same time i was learning and uh going to all kinds of exhibitions and traveling a little bit in europe uh when i knew that there was an important exhibition either in paris or in venice the biennale um, i tried to learn as much as i could uh, from that remember I had no idea. So um, I began discovering painters like Sai Tuan Li. Of course, yeah. Which I think uh, he is probably one of the artists that I most admire. Wow. Uh, I and one artist that was very influential at that point in Barcelona was Emilio Vedova. So okay. Emilio Vedova was a Venetian artist. Um, he was much older. Uh, and he was the Franz Klein of, of Italy. Mm. So, uh, and I began to see his work. It was so liberating, I think, because he used to take these big buckets of, uh, of house paints. And he only had three colors, red, uh, <laughs> red, blue, and yellow, and yeah. then black and white. And then he took these bro big brushes and slapping the, uh, the paint on these enormous canvases and everything dripping. And so he was like an abstract expressionist from Italy, um, 
And to me, he was very much like the Franz Klein of, of, of Italy. Mm. But when I saw that, I said, this is what I need. The hill with the brushes, the hill with the, you know, this. <laughs> and I started, you know, throwing paints. Um, Amazing. Which, you know, Paula did. And I was learning about all of these, but Emilio Vedova was a contemporary, was, he was alive. And um, I actually wrote him to see if I could internship with him, but you know, he never responded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was, you know, music was one thing. Yeah. Uh, t- technically speaking and learning about different artists that would interest me uh, was another. And how this very complex amount of things uh, I had to start putting together yeah. before I found my my you know the essence of my work, the essence of right. my voice. Right. Oh, that's extraordinary. Thank you so much for sharing how that all came together. Um, you know, in, in German there's this uh, word called Gestalt where you know the the overall is uh, so much more meaningful than the individual parts and so this is how i feel about how you came to find your artistic voice uh, the gestalt of your artistic voice took all these different uh, pieces together and uh, you found a brilliant way to to express it and uh, in your audience uh, we the appreciators of your art thank you for it the, the labor that you endured um, has made our lives so much more enriched. So, so our, our gratitude is expressed for sure. Um, tell us, Ricardo, about the move to uh, to New York. What prompted that? So I, um, let's see, 1988, I had an exhibition, my first exhibition. Mm. And uh, in Mexico City. It was my first solo exhibition. I, I had a, a, a few group exhibitions in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I remember I had only, only had been painting for about three years. Right. Uh, and I, you know, I made it into a few uh, group exhibitions. And then um, I was, I would, I'm not sure if the word is correct, but I was mentored by this Mexican uh, abstract artist called Gunter Gerso, okay. who's an abstract painter that uh, was born in Germany, lived in Mexico, and uh, he was an older generation. And I was uh, recommended to go and see him and show him my work. And uh, he recommended uh, me to this gallery called uh, Galleria Arte Moderno. And that gallery was the oldest gallery in Mexico City. They had shown um, all the muralists and Tamayo and Frida Kahlo and all of of that generation. They were looking for young, you know. So I came from Barcelona, which, you know, helped me. Gunter had called them and put a good word for me and and I had my first exhibition in Mexico City. Coming back to Barcelona after the exhibition, 
Uh, I went to a gallery in New York that represented um, Latin American artists. And the owner of that gallery, called Scott, the Scott Allen Gallery, he thought I was a collector. And <laughs> so he approached me and wanted to talk a lot. And at the end, I said, well, no, no, I'm a, I'm a painter. I just had a, an exhibition with Galeria Arte Mexicano. Oh, really? <laughs> um, so what do you do? And I had a little brochure just a two page, mm. and this is what I do. And uh, I was totally, completely naive uh, as far as, uh, you know, what I was getting into. Sure, yeah. yeah. Okay. I had no idea. Uh, but he looked at the brochure, went to the back of the gallery, brought his partner, and he said, would you like a show? And I'm wow. like, Exactly. <laughs> wow. Um, sure. So I went back to Barcelona. Um, and I'm telling you, this is an important story because uh, in that year, when I started preparing that show, um, that's the year when the nationalism began growing in Europe. Yes, right. and the uh, Berlin Wall came down. Right, and the Catalanes uh, were, the, the, you know, from the Barcelona that I, yeah, that I lived when I arrived, which was, we want to just embrace the world. We want to be part of the world, and the world come to us, and we go to them. And I had seen incredible exhibitions in Barcelona. Uh, you know, from all over the world. Uh, a few years later, it was the closing, uh, the nationalism, the we're not going to speak Spanish here. We're exactly. Catalan. Yeah. Um, I, I couldn't sell my work there. Um, wow. And I began feeling an enormous claustrophobia. They, for, there, there were no exhibitions anymore, international exhibitions. If you were not a Catalan or a last name Catalan, forget it. Wow. And, and I went to New York for this first exhibition and it was a feeling that I'm in the most freest, most, demo, well, I don't know, democratic, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but the most tolerant and the most diverse. Yeah. And yeah. in in Barcelona, uh, not only uh, I felt like uh, because Me Mexico was not considered like it's considered today right. as far as art. Exactly. At that time, I was. Um, considered just a, a Mexican, a Latin, and, and they, they even had a, a word Sudaca for Oh, wow. And, but also the Jewish side, the anti-Semitism in, in oh, Spain man. was enormous. Spain was wow. the last country in, uh, in the Western world to uh, have relationship with Israel. Israel, yeah. 
and and they were forced to if they wanted to join the European Union. But you can imagine that be just before that, the anti-Semitism was just tremendous. So I was in, in both sides. I I felt yeah. like I didn't belong. Yeah, of course, it's understandable. And, it's a shame, and, but it's understandable. Yeah. Uh, so spending a little time in New York, when I went back to Barcelona, I felt I gotta get out of this place. Yeah. And, and as soon as possible, I, I was married to a woman from New York, actually, at that time. Okay. She's not my wife now, but... Um, and so that kind of made it easy. Sure. And yeah. I applied for a Jackson Pollock uh, um, mm. grant, and I and I got it. So it helped me um, move to New York. And it was just like getting out of jail. <laughs> Amazing. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. So wow. My transition to New York. Uh, was about that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's a really an incredible story. It's so interesting how our environment really impacts our, our creativity, our work, our output, and um, that kind of um, constraint that uh, you were feeling um, was not conducive to, uh, to being a, a painter. And so um, I'm glad you, you made that move. Uh, I'm, of course, sorry that you had to go through those experiences. Um, those weren't pleasant, but uh, um, New York uh, was calling and uh, you arrived there and uh, this was a, a flourishing of your artistic output. Um, describe to us, if you don't mind, uh, your New York years and, and how your, uh, your, your work progressed. Well, the New York years, which began in the early 90s. Yeah. Um, and like everybody knows, New York is the most fantastic, energetic place in the world. But at the same time, it's, it's the hardest place to survive. Right. Uh, and I was not particularly, when I left Mexico City, I left when with very, very little uh, savings mm. and which lasted in Barcelona, but New York was a different story. Yeah. And uh, it was, I had to learn to survive very quickly because I was, I didn't have a, a real market like I do now. I was not known uh, in, in those times. So it was a combination of survival and also. I felt that I was ready to take in everything that New York has to offer. Mm. Had I been in New York at when I began uh, as an artist, I think I would have gotten lost. So wow. Barcelona was great in helping me, you know, concentrate. concentrate. It was a smaller place, and um, New York was, you know, a, a totally different story. Um, mm. Place where. You see, you know, there's a thousand galleries, museums, uh, and on the great thing is that you are who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. 
you know, what the color of your skin or religion is. Right. Uh, that doesn't matter. But at the same time, it, it was a, it's a place where you learn humility because mm -hmm. you, know, you could be uh, the, the most important for one hour and then there was, there's going to be someone else. Right. right. Um, and those, I, I mentioned the, the fall of granite because I, I, I used it to build some, um, to rent a studio and, and uh, rent a larger space, get another, uh, uh, build another studio that, which I rented and helped me. So, you know, all of these things that you need to do in New York, you know, <laughs> right, to survive. To survive. Yeah. And, and, you know, slowly uh, I, I began showing again in Mexico City. I was already beginning to show my work in Barcelona uh, with a gallery night, uh, which is a gallery from Paris that had mm. a branch in Barcelona. So, uh, you know, I, I was beginning to show more, which I have been very lucky in a way, <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that I had, that I was able to sell enough to survive. Right. But, you know, I, I was, you know, uh, I was getting there slowly right. until okay. uh, the year 2000, which was perhaps one of my most important breakthroughs uh, is okay. an offer of the Museo de Arte Contemporáneo de Monterrey. Right. And they offered me my first um, exhibition. How do you say the first survey? It's uh, not exactly a retrospective, but it was right. okay. a survey of my work. And that exhibition open the doors for me to begin selling my work to major collectors. Wonderful. That's awesome. oh, extraordinary. Fantastic. Um, share with us, Ricardo, your discovery of Santa Fe, which is where you're speaking to us uh, from now. So, uh, When I was living in New York, I met my present wife and mother of my two daughters. Mm -hmm. And we met, it was 1998. Okay. And, um, you know, I was single at that point and I wanted to uh, meet a Mexican woman. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay. like, you know what? something in the sense of humor and you know it's just like i would love to meet a mexican woman yeah and i offered all my friends a painting if they found the, <laughs> the, extraordinary <laughs> that's wonderful because i was living in new york i said well, there's how am i that's, to meet that's someone right. in mexico so i told <laughs> all my friends and said uh, uh whoever finds the mother of 
my children and the love of my life. Um, and I met Fabi, Fabiola. Uh, I met her um, through a, a friend who gave me her email. And emails were just beginning. That's right. Yeah. Just beginning. Uh, remember AOL? You got mail? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a black and white computer and all of that. That's um, the story is I met Fabiola. I got married in 1999, and her parents had a uh, vacation home in, in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, so we we got married. We She came to New York. We lived in New York. And the first summer, I said, I hate the summers in New York. You know, humidity. Work with the humidity. And, <laughs> let's go to, you know, I'll rent a studio in... Uh, in Santa Fe, and then let's go to your parents' uh, little home. Yeah. And that's how we made it here to the first time, um, the first summer. And then we said, well, why don't we do it the next summer? Uh, Fabi was pregnant with my first daughter. Yeah. Uh, and we were here in Santa Fe when 9-11 happened and we couldn't go back to New York. Yeah, of course. Uh, so we stayed six months here, after which uh, we went back to New York. Uh, I still had a studio in New York. Um, and that's how we made it to, uh, to Santa Fe. We, we just loved it. And we thought that the raising children here would be easier and probably a better quality of life. And yeah. economically more feasible than New York. Yeah, though, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that's fantastic. And so uh, now you've been there 22, 23 years. Um, uh, well, uh, sorry, you uh, met Fabiola in 98. And then, uh, so but 20 years or so, you've, you've been uh, okay. there. And, um, uh, clearly, the um, location has been inspiring and conducive for your work, and and I love that mirroring about um, how your work is so so driven by location, um, and and uh, you've chosen this spot, and you've built a phenomenal home there, which includes a studio where you are. Uh, applying your craft and um, share with us a little bit about that. I know we're fast forwarding slightly, but uh, uh, in, in what year uh, did you decide to to build it, and and when was it completed? Um, I decided to build the studio, to, and and I was uh, most of the design was was mine. Uh, about 10, 11 years ago. It was actually, it was in 2008. Okay. And, you know, throughout everything that I've been talking to you is that I've always been a, a, a person that loves risk. And I love, um, you know, adventure and, that's how I went to Barcelona, the knowing yeah. anybody or anything. Uh, that's <laughs> how I went to New York. Yep. Uh, yep. And in 2008 was the 
um, the economical crack. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I said, well, this is the time of opportunity. Brilliant. It, I love that. And, and I'm going to, I don't know what's going to happen in the art world. I, um, I don't know, but if I have a, a chance, probably this would be the, the, the time. To do it. <laughs> right. And there's this area, this very small area in Barcelona, in, I'm sorry, in, in Santa Fe, that is, uh, it's about four square blocks um, where you can build any style that you want. Um, and they rent the land instead of, um, so, so I would only have to build the studio and not have to buy the land, which made it a lot oh. more feasible. Yeah. yeah, okay. And uh, and that time I, I you know, I, I talked to the, the city, which was uh, owns the land. And I said, the only thing I, I don't want to do is a, an Adobe type of looking for studio. <laughs> and I need very high ceilings and I need this and that. And they said, fine. So that was, Wonderful. yeah, that was how I began this. And it's a problem, Asim, because I will, it's hard for me to replace this studio anywhere else yeah. in the world. Yeah, <laughs> so it really great. had to be attached to something. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's anchored you uh, in 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 many ways, and uh, while I, I understand the 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 joy in that and how wonderful it has been for your creative output, I also sense that bit of remorse that um, you're not as mobile as uh, maybe you'd like to be. <laughs> um, so that's uh, no, that's uh, thank you again for that for that share. Um, I'd like to spend some time talking about um, some of your uh, exhibitions and and your bodies of work. Mm -hmm. And as I reviewed um, uh, you know, the, the various shows that you've done, um, you know, it kind of started with uh, Kailash that really stood out for me. And um, you know, for those of us, uh, for those listeners who uh, aren't able to see, um, Ricardo's in front of a photo of Mount Kailash, mm -hmm. which was the inspiration for this body of work. So, if you don't mind, please walk us through um, how you got there, how you were inspired by it, and how that led to the ensuing exhibition. Mm -hmm. Well. Um... Kailash is part of a trilogy, mm. and which began with the Red Queen, uh, which is uh, a project yes. that I mentioned before. Right. Uh, and it was about this tomb in Palenque, uh, mm. a tomb where there was the, the, this woman who is now called the, the Red Queen. She was supposed to be the um, mistress or the wife of the King Pakal. The most important king of Palenque, and she was buried uh, with, and, and when she was buried, she was covered with these red pigments, uh, cinnabar red, and that image in itself was so powerful that uh, that I decided to do this 
first project, which was the Tomb of the Red Queen. Mm, brilliant. And that project, uh, which lasted, you know, a few, two, three years, uh, which began with my trip to Palenque to do all the research, to begin understanding how photography took place in my work. And also one very important thing to mention, Nassim, is that I began using the computer as a tool to translate the, the photography into the painting. How, how I could uh, take an, uh, an image and manipulate it in Photoshop and, and uh, I would say distort it, transform it to the point that it could become a painting. Yeah. No, really. And as you shared with me, it's uh, actually about 50% of your creative process. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right now, I probably spend half of the time uh, conceiving and developing the, the uh, work in the computer before I paint Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amazing. Yeah. And it was a red queen the first, the first uh, time that I used it. Um, the computer in that way. There's a, a video in my website uh, right. under the exhibitions uh, of the Red Queen. There's a, a video that explains how I began using the computer. Wonderful. Uh, but, but that really started opening up a whole new world for me, a whole new way of thinking, mm. uh, uh, pulling together complex ideas, uh, where I could bring photography and video and painting and installation to. Uh, yes. I began doing installation and, and how I could take this very complex number of things and pull it together in, into a show. And I had a, my first, exhibition of the Red Queen was at the Museum of Anthropology in Mexico City, mm -hmm. where I created an installation that that uh, that included all of, all of these complex elements. Amazing, yeah. And after the Red Queen, <clears throat> uh, I, I said, well, I, I'm not sure what I can do after this. Uh, it's right. very, very, the project was so fantastic, so so great, and it took so many years and effort of, in my part that I said, I don't know what to do now. And I happened to visit a friend of mine in Germany uh, in a very small town called Michelstadt near Frankfurt. Right, okay. And my friend uh, said, let's go for a walk. And we went to this forest that he loved and I, I began seeing that every tree had a little uh, uh, plaque with a number. And, and, and I said, well, what are these numbers? Why, why are these trees um, you know, identified like that? And he said, well, this is a cemetery. I said, well, there's nothing that shows that it's a cemetery. 
So the trees, you were not allowed to even put flowers. It's a cemetery where you buy a tree for 99 years and wow. your ashes can be buried next to the tree and your whole family buried around the tree. Um, and I found that so poetic when I came back to Santa Fe, I was thinking and thinking about that. And I said, there it is, there it goes. I need to go back. And one week after I arrived, I, I went back to <laughs> Germany. Oh, fantastic. To visit my friend and to photograph the, the, uh, the forest. And I said, I, I don't know how I'm gonna do this because I'm dealing with, you know, visually a place that is all vertical. Um, <clears throat> I have no idea, but I don't care. I, I like beginning uh, my projects without having any visual idea wow. of what I'm going to be painting. Yeah, and the end product. That gives me a whole freedom. About, yes, uh, right, amazing. The my friend knew the um, the mayor of the town very well and got an appointment for me and I had a wonderful interview uh, with him for about two hours and after that talk he decided that he wanted to uh, be part of the project or let's say that he wanted his town to be part of what I was doing and he offered me a treat. <laughs> and I said to him, uh, tell me if I'm extending too much uh, in time. No, this is beautiful. If you have the time, I'm so engrossed in the story. Please, uh, I would love to hear it. And I said to him, you know, I can't accept you a tree because I can't be buried here. <laughs> um, I'm Mexican and I'm Jewish. And uh, so he insisted so much that... Uh, that I said, okay, let's do it. Wow. Uh, and I, I decided to accept it because in accepting a tree in Germany, uh, it, what, it would just make this project much more significant and real. Of course, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, next week, I, I would like to send you some, some of the books that have been published. So, of these projects. Oh, that'd be phenomenal. Yeah, so, I'd really love that. So I, you know, I began photographing the the forest and the first two days were very frustrating because the photographs looked beautiful, but they were like natural geographic, you know, <laughs> these were about trees. Right. And it was accidental, I would say, uh, accidental and not, but that I was uh, walking towards the, you know, after visiting my tree in, in that forest, which I, find, I chose a tree. Um, and it was, the, the sun was, uh, it was sunset. Mm. And I began photographing, uh, with the sun coming through the, the, the light of the sun coming through the, the, the leaves of the trees. And I started looking at it and I said, this is what I came for. 
is to photograph the light as though it was, uh, you know, in the cathedrals, the stained glass and the light comes in to the to the cathedrals. Yeah, and this is a right. spiritual zone. And yeah. I was talking about the value of light and space in my work. So I began photographing. Uh, I took hundreds and hundreds of photographs of the light coming through the, the trees. And that's how, uh, with work in the computer, I was able to develop all the paintings of um, the series of Odenwald. It's right. the name of the forest. Yeah. Um, oh, that's exquisite. What a great story. Yes. Um, and that series was uh, my first exhibition at Sundaranta War in New York. Hmm. Uh, there was a book published for that. Right. Wonderful. And then came Kainish. Right. Because I realized at that point that I had two projects that had to do more with the place than with the burial uh, hmm. idea. Although the burial idea I like because uh, it when I'm um, thinking about death, I'm thinking about life and. I'm just fascinated by it. By but people tell me, why, why have you, you know, done so many uh, projects about um, burials and all these things? And some of the feedback I got when I showed the Odenbach project is people thinking about their mortality. What about being buried next to the tree? Yeah. And yeah. when I was at the forest, I saw children playing. So the, there was this very um, thin line about life and death that it, it's just this tension that I've always loved. So yeah. Kailash came uh, through a, a talk with a friend of mine who is a Buddhist. And, and I mentioned the fact that I thought it would be a Good idea to have a trilogy. And he said, Do you know Kailash? I said, No, never heard of him. He said, Well, <laughs> Kailash is the center of the universe. Oh my God. I said, Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that uh, for Buddhists. And, and he said, You know that there is a sky burials there. I said, Well, everything is connecting now. You know, yeah. Well, absolutely brilliant. My goodness. And I came back to my studio. I saw uh, the first picture of Kailash in the website. And I said, I'm already painting this. Wow. I'm already painting this. Wow. You see some of the uh, uh, paintings from the Ordenwald series, this, this kind of uh, textures. Yes, that's are, right. They Fabi were there. already in, in. So I called my wife, Fabi, and I said, Fabi, um, you got to get ready. Please help me to research. Yeah. We're going to Tibet. Amazing. And we're going to photograph guys. She's a world, she loved traveling. And so she yeah. was amazing. Uh, <laughs> the next year, we were 
at 18,500 feet uh, taking these photographs of the mountain. And um, that's how Kailash came about. Amazing. Oh, that's fantastic. I love the uh, alignment, the synchronicity, the, um, as you say, it's a trilogy, triptych, even that kind of uh, idea comes to mind. Um, I was very moved by the um, exhibition where you had um, a video of the Buddhist devotees doing their prostrations as they traversed the uh, 30 plus miles uh, to get to uh, to the mountain, um, really extraordinary. It, it gives a sense of this gravitas to um, to the place, how sacred it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, when I, when I, yeah um, it, it, it's funny, but I, my wife, Fabi, she loves research. And mm. so she's reading everything about Kailash. And I, I've always said, I don't want to know anything about Kailash. I want to fly to Kailash. And then I want to be like a completely open, uh, you know, completely open space. And yeah, yeah. Open not to have any to, opinions or biases already. I don't want to know anything. So yeah. she helps me when I'm there and I'm, you know, asking her questions about this and that. Um, <laughs> and we happen to, to uh, be lucky to, uh, to presence a, a sky burial. Yeah, it, wow. it's an extremely rare thing to coincide. Uh, our guide had been in Kailash for 18 uh, times and never had seen one. And those kinds of things are a, a big signal to me. Uh, and yeah. it just changes the whole emotional experience of, of how I'm going to live through this. And and then I take my camera, I photograph everything, the, the prayer flags with a tremendous wind there is in Tibet. Mm. Uh, so I'm photographing and they, they get blurry, so they're more about color and movement. Um, and I, you know, for the most part, I went to, to photograph the north side of the mountain. Right. And so that was one of the most incredible and most difficult experiences uh, in my life. Yeah. Uh, if I would say, I don't think there's a, a place that I have felt more spirituality than there. Wow. Uh, when there are hundreds, thousands of pilgrims going around that mountain and giving their 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 whole spiritual selves to the mountain yeah. and offering themselves to the mountain. 16 people had already died that year when we went just doing wow. the pilgrimage. And, and you know, the, the, it was an extremely physically difficult thing to do. But I, I had to go through it. Yeah. That Korra, that around the mountain, which yeah. the uh, 
the pilgrims that do the prostrations take 28 days to do right. uh, what we did in four days, right? Right, right. And then how I used that video of, of the prostrations to put it on a, on a floor. And it was the first time that I combined video with painting in a, in a same exhibition mm -hmm. because uh, they were in two different um, levels. One, you know, the paintings were on the, on the wall, the, the video was on the floor. And uh, the people were prostrate, uh, you know, the projection was from, from the ceiling down. And there was this feeling that the video gave this motion to the space where the paintings existed. If I turned off the, the video, it felt like, and I'm talking about the space, is this museum where I showed this in Mexico City. Yeah. When I turned the video off, it, it, it felt like all the paintings would just recede to the, to the oh, walls amazing. and became more, yeah. Amazing, and wow. You turn on the, the, and it made the whole space yeah. motion. And then the, the third element, which, and I'm, I'm sorry, I just jumped from one thing to another because I'm not. It's fantastic, I, I love it. It's all, it's the third element was the music because Kailash mm. uh, oh, was yes. the first time that I commissioned. La Vista, uh, to perform. With La Vista. Yeah, amazing, yeah, that was exquisite. So the music was playing uh, at the same time as the videos and the painting. And so it made this whole space really yeah. uh, dynamic and moving. Um, yeah. Well, and... So uh, my, my, it, no, please. Well, a little bit of, of the intention uh, is that my work is not about the, the painting. And you talked about Gustav, right? Yes. Uh, my work at that point is more about the experience of uh, the public when they come into that space. Right. And they're exploring and learning about this fabulous mountain, uh, this spiritual place where the public can get lost and just experience it the way or i hope a little bit of the way that i experienced it when i went there yeah yeah no that's extraordinary um you've captured it so uh, emphatically so phenomenally it's um it's really an exquisite body of work um i just want to talk a little bit about some of the other exhibitions and i uh, would love to focus on um, uh, the, the new one that you have coming up in, um, uh, which will be in Singapore in uh, April, May of this year. Um, but uh, I, I love the story about uh, the Bhutan uh, series and uh, you had shows in Hong Kong and Singapore and in between you, you made this visit. Um, and of course, there's a resonant theme with um, Silence in Prague um, being at a, a cemetery. 
And um, again, this theme of spirituality and the transition um, is evident in Violet as well, where there's no physical location that is an inspiration, but it's the color and, and how you found that to be the universal color of um, spirituality uh, around these uh, ideals or these ideas. Um, would love to just sort of uh, build up and talk about uh, your recent show in New York, which was called Full Circle. Full Circle, yes. Yeah. But, uh, so but show, please. No, now that you mentioned Violet, that's something that I would love to uh, to speak about a little bit because, like you said, uh, that was not based on a particular place. Yeah. Um, but but yet I feel that Violet is is totally connected with the other projects because it's of probably the most spiritual of all my work. Mm. Excuse me. And uh, that came about uh, a series that I did just previous to that called Noche Transfigurada. Uh, um, it, it's it's about some photographs I did of, of some of the tumbleweeds here in, in and I did those at night with a flash and the, and the title also comes from Schoenberg's Night Transfigured uh, composition Which that work yes uh, right uh, and it, in, in that series is the first time and by suggestion of one of my daughters that I used the color violet, which, you know, I always stayed away from violet because it's like, I don't know. Um, you know, I had this idea of what violet means. That, right. Uh, and, I, and I did, there's a very thin line in one of those paintings that was violet, and I loved it. And I had this paint left, and I took a small canvas and I just did a color field painting of violet. Mm. One of those that I did in one hour, but I was very lucky that it was just beautiful. You know, <laughs> just fantastic. It, it's, it's like, I said, wow, yeah. it's got beautiful texture. It was like silk. It had enough, but it was a color field painting, one single color. And I showed that painting in Mexico City at Sonamaco. Uh, and I observed people just standing in front of it for the longest time. So coming back to Santa Fe, I said, what? What happened? What? You know, it's a color field painting. And I realized that violet is the most spiritual of the colors. Wow. So you can't say that yellow is spiritual, green is grass or nature, blue mm. is sky, but what about violet? Violet is, so I, I said, I would love to explore the spiritual value of that. Um, and I want to, I named everything violet because it, I went to blue violet the whole spectrum of, uh, until I got to red wow. and everything in between, right? Wow, amazing. 
And at the same time, uh, it, in my brother uh, became very ill. Hmm. And okay. I was asked to do a, a blood sample. And, and I went to a laboratory here in Santa Fe to get my blood drawn. And I was painting the color violet. You know, the blood is not red, it's violet. It's, um, yes. And I took a, right. a tube and I, and I told the, the, the nurse, I said, can I, I'm, I want to take a little picture of the yeah. color. And I was painting that. So Amazing. again, these things that are after facts, but that start plugging in and I'm beginning to understand. Um, another, and this is the last thing I'll, I'll talk to you about, Violet, is that I was working on that series and uh, I had, uh, I, I told my assistant, John, can you just go, go to YouTube and uh, put some music of Arbor Park? <laughs> nice. And it started the music, and I literally stopped painting. And I said, what is this? Mm. It was, I hit the computer, and they were, it was playing the symphony number four for the Los Angeles uh, Orchestra. Wow. And the cover of, of the image uh, of, of the CD that was playing was Violet. And when Amazing. I was listening to that, I seen, I, I Wow. Wow. I was, I was saying to myself, this is, if, if I close my eyes and listen to this music, this is Violet. This is the most spiritual, and you should. Please listen to it. Is the SL, yeah, number four uh, for Los Angeles uh, Symphony Orchestra, and wow. that became like oh, almost for every series there is some music that I find that I can connect with and will accompany me throughout that series. Amazing! So Amazing! That was oh, my that's phenomenal. <laughs> that's uh, really um, uh, the the emotion that I'm feeling is is really uh, extraordinary. I, I I can't wait to listen to that uh, that music, and I just love the infusion of music with your work. How that uh, comes from a place of inspiration, and then the experience that you bring to your audience um, is it's all encapsulated in that, and mm -hmm. so. Um, yeah, you're having quite a prolific period. You, um, there was a show in New York in the last several months, and you're also prepping for a show in, in Singapore. Um, tell us about uh, that body of work. Well, uh, we have to uh, walk back a couple of years uh, with a series you mentioned that is Prague, or Silence of Prague. Yes, right. Uh, my younger daughter decided to go to a um, well we decided to uh, send her to a boarding school for experience and she chose uh, the Czech Republic right so uh, I, I traveled there with her uh, we go to Prague and 
one of the most I, I think one of the most important uh, sites in Prague is the Jewish cemetery. Yes. It was very famous. I heard from it, and and I must say I'm not very religious, but I am very Jewish. Right. Uh, and, and I have had heard so many, so much about it that I uh, went to see it with her, and it and I found it again being a very spiritual place. It's, it's just a feeling, you know. Yeah. And I can give you this example: like there's the ruins of Palenque where I did the Red Queen and Teotihuacan, which you know is near Mexico. Yeah, I, I visited, yeah. So Palenque is a spiritual place. Teotihuacan is not. Right. Maybe Teotihuacan is far more spectacular, mm. but Palenque is spiritual. That's where people, uh, it, it, it's the most Western city of the Maya, so people go to that. Yeah. Um, so it just felt like the the uh, there was something special about the cemetery, and I started photographing with my iPhone, and I loved these images um, and these you know angles and uh, textures and colors of the stones, tombstones. But really, I didn't know, I didn't think I was going to do anything with that because what I talked to you before, the um, Tapia's effect of, you know, ah, yes. it didn't have that quality. But, but, you know, two months later, I would look at the photographs again and I said, there's something drawing me to this. It's very special. And finally, I ended up in the computer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And, and I, I've gotten to be very good with that. I can do anything I want with the computer and create paintings, whichever way. And that's how the Prague uh, started, uh, the Prague series, which was shown in New York, the Sudan, I think in 2016 no, no, or 18. I can't remember exactly. But um, what I'm going to be showing now, the, the Fulster, okay, let me backtrack a little bit. Every project uh, that I begin uh, has a direct connection to the photographs. Mm, yes. In the first phase. But then there's a second phase where I, I open so many doors that I need to explore further and dive deeper into the painting and say, so the second phase is uh, a study of the paintings of the photographs. And sometimes you go to the third phase, which is sure. paintings of the paintings of the paintings of the photographs. I mean, <laughs> right. So in Kailash, for example, there was four, like four phases, right? Amazing. Uh, Violet had less but uh, Prague had this happening. Yeah. Uh, I showed the first one in uh, 
with Sundaram in New York. The second phase of Prague was in Mexico City. Mm, nice. And now comes the third phase, which I call full circle, right. um, that I showed in November in New York, oh, no. uh, where it was Prague, but now the the uh, the lines are not straight. You know, I start curving it, and that's from Photoshop, right? You, right, you, that's true. Yeah. You take a line and it's easy to start curving it. And the paintings now don't look like the original photographs. The, fir wow. the first version of, of Prague was very close to the photographs. Right. The full circle wasn't. And it's called full circle, which is a name that my daughter, Julia, who's now studying for art history, she came up with the name because I started in integrating colors and textures from other scenes. <laughs> right. and, you know, um, and that's how the food circle came about. Um, Brilliant, I love that name. And, and the series that I'm currently working on for yeah. Singapore uh, began as the third phase of the front paintings. Now the colors are going totally <laughs> in a different direction than the cemetery Prague. Uh, okay. The lines are completely, you know, dancing around. Um, <clears throat> but also I uh, I was watching a documentary of uh, Duchamp with my wife and suddenly I saw in the background, of, uh, I, I guess he owned it was a, a painting of Mondrian um, mm. was in a diamond shape. So instead ah, of the landscape square shape, uh, it was a diamond shape. Yeah. And I and I looked at it, I, I took my laptop and I photoshopped boom, and I took <laughs> some of the Prague paintings uh, <clears throat> that have these angles. And I stuck it inside uh, the diamond shape. And I, I was fascinated by how the shape of the canvas itself played with the angles of the painting inside. Amazing. And that just opened up a new, a new, um, a new path. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There goes, you know, Photoshop and this and that. And, <laughs> it, it, and that's how things evolve until yes. one of these days, I see some, something's going to happen. I'm going to discover so, something else to work. I don't, I don't yeah, know. It, it, there'll be another breakthrough. And this is the beauty of your practice that you have sustained over all of these years. You remain very open to experience and what's happening around you and you follow the signs the universe it feels has given you certain signs and and you know uh what would have happened if you had not watched that documentary with fabiola on duchamp what if you had watched something else that night right so i i just i think that's exquisite and that you are attuned to it uh like a master composer and um you progress with it and it takes your work to these amazing places um 
it's it's really extraordinary please don't stop doing that <laughs> incidentally <laughs> uh, we as your fans will be uh in a, in a much worse place so uh yeah we definitely encourage you to continue um ricardo this has been such a phenomenal conversation i really appreciate the openness with which you shared your experiences uh, the ups and the downs and um, you know, giving us insight into how you have created this uh, amazing body of work. Um, for all my listeners and friends who are based in Singapore, please keep a lookout for the opening of Ricardo's show there, which will happen hopefully in April, May of this year. I say hopefully only because of uh, pandemic constraints. Um, you know, we don't know. The world's a bit uh, fluid at the moment. So, uh, but we take it as it is and uh, and move forward. But uh, really, te uh, agradezco. Muchísimas gracias. This was uh, incredible. Espero que nos veamos en, en la Ciudad de México. Sí. Pronto, ¿no? Pronto, este, bien pronto. Sí, bien, lo espero también. Seguro algo así. Sí. sí. Y si no, yo voy a, a, voy a ir a Santa Fe a visitar. Ah, sí, bien, bienvenido. Encantado <laughs> de tenerte. That would be extraordinary, yes. Yes. Well, again, Ricardo, thank you so much. This was really wonderful uh, and very inspirational for our audience members. So I hope you. so, because I, I don't consider myself very, very good at it. <laughs> we, we don't want you thinking about those things. We want you just please keep creating. <laughs>